Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to DBR podcast number 70, number 70. I, I kind of can't believe we've been here as long as we've been here. I am your host this week. I am Jason Evans, talking to you from Atlanta, Georgia, where we had an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly depressing, horrible, terrible football game called the Super Bowl yesterday, um, last night. I'm still barely recovered from it, but um, while I lament and cry about uh, my team blowing the biggest lead in Super Bowl history, I will bring in my co-hosts, first in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. How are you doing, Donald? Uh, I am tired because I, too, watched said Super Bowl last night, along with the rest of America, and America commiserates with you. Just sucked. Really sucked. And Sam Klein in Denver. Sam, I think you said you were rooting for the Patriots, you horrible, horrible person. Eh. I uh, I was more indifferent to it, although I did find as I was watching the game that I was rooting for Atlanta. So um, whatever whatever consolation that is, I was actually uh, on a plane landing right when the game ended. So then I had to get myself home. So it has it has not been very long since the game ended, and now we're up doing the show. Yes, bright and early on uh, Monday morning. Um, I, I want to tell you guys, by the way, just really quickly on the Super Bowl. Uh, last night I was, uh, there, there was a connection to Duke in what was happening to me. Um, as, as I watched the Falcons blow a, a 19 point fourth quarter lead, uh, I was asked by a friend of mine after the game, he was like, he said, that's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of sports. And I said, well, there was the 1990 NCAA, for me, there was a 1990 NCAA title game where you know I had high hopes that Duke was finally going to win their first title, and we played UNLV, and the you know we lost 103 to 70. It was just you know horrific. Um, Bobby Hurley had the runs, and 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 the team we we got blown out, we got destroyed. It's like the, it was just a soul crushing loss. And I said, and then there was the Louisville game in 1986, where we lost in our last second tip in by. Purvis Ellison, and I was a freshman at Duke at that point, and I was like, those really, really hurt. And, and my friend turned to me and said, you didn't blow a 19-point lead in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and I said, you know, you're right. So the Duke fan in me wanted to find the Duke equivalents, but that Super Bowl was soul-crushing. Um, it really, ugh, it's just awful, awful. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about this. We're, 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 we're sorry for your loss. What, what, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want consolation from us? <laughs> no, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I'm moving on to bigger and better things because my Blue Devils are playing really good basketball right now. Uh, it was uh, it was just over the weekend that the Blue Devils took care of the Pittsburgh Pamper, Pam, Pampers. They were not the Pampers. They're not diapers. They're the Panthers. We beat them 72. In, in, to... in most years, they're pretty tough, though, and so are Pampers. <laughs> yes, right. Granted. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was it's, a good slip up. Yes, it was the pit pampers. Um, yeah. It's early. It's early people. So I, I'm not able to talk quite <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, Duke beat them 72 to 64. Go Devils. Um, we are now on a very, very nice ACC win streak of three games in a row. Uh, we are up to six and four in the conference and uh, knocking on the door of the of the teams at the very, very top. Um, let's start by recapping what happened in that pit game that I think. Uh, even though Duke won and, and, you know, Duke sort of won going away by eight points, it was a very, very, very close game. And it was a game, I think, that a lot of people were surprised at how close it was. Um, Sam, why don't you get me started? Give me your impressions. What did you see happening in this contest that um, I think most people thought Duke was going to win a bit easier than they did? 
Yeah, so I, as I mentioned last week, I, I got to attend this game, which was really fun. Uh, I met uh, Mark Newton, who has been on our show before and who is a contributor to the DBR. I got to meet him for the first time, which was really nice. So, hey, Mark. Um, but I, 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 I agree with you. I went in thinking that Duke was going to be able to do a lot more. And I think a couple things really plagued us. Um, the defense wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to keep the ball from getting in the middle. I think that you know if the while the ball was lurking around in the perimeter, and Pitt was doing a lot of passing around the perimeter, they it was almost like could you guys see this on or did it seem like this on TV that they were it was almost like they were running a three man weave for the first fifteen seconds of the shot clock a lot of times, um, and Duke was fine just letting them do that. Uh, but then there were a lot of possessions where that three-man weave turned into them just firing the ball in the post and getting easy layups or or driving it into the post, and the, the post defense still has not really settled in for Duke. I think that you know Tatum had a pretty good game, but there were still moments where he was looking around and the ball was going behind him. It happened to a couple different guys. So I think that at one end of the floor that was happening on offense, I thought Duke was fine. They missed a bunch of shots in the first half, but they were – you know they were in rhythm. They were within the offense. It wasn't like it wasn't like guys were were running around with the ball for twenty seconds and jacking up bad shots. So um, I think the the you know it's the unexpected thing here that won by eight and not by seventeen is that they missed a couple shots early. I think that they could have had a ten point lead at halftime and cruised to a victory if if a few more of those canard shots had gone in uh, or something like that. So not it wasn't an uncharacteristic performance if you were just watching if you just weren't watching the shots i think the duke's offense was fine i think that the defense played the way that they have normally played this season not exceptional and it doesn't seem like the return of coach k did anything to to really bolster the defense but uh, ultimately duke's is a better team than pitt so even on a on a bad shooting night uh, they're still going to get the best of a team that while talented, you know, we, we talk about artists and young and they had, I still don't know the guy's name because you can't read the numbers on the pit jerseys, but the, the very large gentleman in the middle for Pitt, um, who, who seemed to create. Yeah. Nick. Oh my gosh. That guy created space all over the place. Harry Giles couldn't do anything against him. Um, but well, you know, he's only 300 he, pounds. Ronzel right. Nix is only 300 pounds. And he, and, and he runs, he runs very aggressively. I mean, that, that man can get from one from one basket to the other in a hurry uh, with all that weight. So I think that it wasn't a great performance from Duke, but ultimately they're they have more options than Pittsburgh does, and and Duke was able to to outlast them, as you said, you know, sort of going away, but it, but it did take them a while to create that that lead, well, and it really went down towards like the last two minutes. Yeah, you know what's sort of funny is that uh, you talk about the bad shooting and. And I agree with you. I was, as I was watching the game, as it was a tight game throughout most of the second half, um, I was saying to myself, uh, Duke, you know, how can, how can it even be this tight? Because Duke simply can't hit a shot. Um, uh, the funny thing is we ended up hitting 45% of our shot field goals, including 39% of our three-pointers, which, are, you know, are not bad numbers. But it was Those, like all in the second half. Right. But, and it was all in the final like seven or eight minutes. Um, it was like we didn't hit anything, and then we hit everything, and and so in the end, the final product is a game where you go, oh, that that seems fairly normal. Um, but but it was like this huge struggle to to get there. Donald, did uh, what what was your take? And let me specifically ask, what did you think of the defense? Because I thought it was very interesting. Sam brought this up. Um, 
Pitt got late in the shot clock a lot, especially early. I think I don't think Pitt took a shot with less than like two seconds on the shot clock in their first three or four or five possessions, um, which was something that we identified that was really important against Notre Dame. But um, but it felt like even though Pitt was getting late in the shot clock, they were getting better shots than Notre Dame did. Yeah, it seemed. I mean, going back, like, I think with the uh, the return of Coach K. Uh, I felt like the first half was a little bit, um, what's the word? Uh, I feel like it was tight. I think that's the best way to describe the game in general is that the guys played a little tight. Um, they wanted to come out with fire and energy, and, and the shots weren't falling. Um, but with, you know, getting back to the defensive part, I, I think it was weird. It was almost like they lullabied us uh, to sleep on a lot of those possessions by just playing that little basket weave they were doing in the first like 20 seconds of the shot clock. And then all of a sudden it was like, go, 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 and they would inbound to the post, and before we knew what was happening, they were taking a shot. Um, and I feel like that was kind of a, something to work around throughout the whole game. I, I think it was one of those uh, instances where, you know, one guy would be caught sleeping at the very last second, and we played pretty decent defense um, for the first 25 seconds, but, you know, one fell swoop, bam, bam, bam. Guy turns around, and there's a ball, you know, going into the hoop behind him. And, and you're kind of like sitting there wondering, you know, how do you do that? Especially with the defense we were playing, it wasn't like we had to play aggressive defense. They weren't attacking the basket uh, in the first, like, you know, half of the, of the shot clock every time they brought the, floor, uh, the ball down. So um, that was pretty interesting. What I did notice uh, on the offensive end for us is, you know, I think the second half was less of a, of a chore uh, because we hit our threes and we hit eight of them in the second half. And I think that was one of the major differences because those threes became the momentum that we needed to kind of keep Pitt at arm's length, um, even as they were, you know, clo- even as, as the game was close and it was basically going back and forth. Uh, I think those threes were, were key. And I think Grayson Allen uh, had a hell of a game um, in the second half, kind of willing our team to the end uh, and, and, and getting that victory. You know, the interesting thing was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, Jason Tatum was the guy who sort of lifted us with the threes. Um, he hit two in a row uh, mm-hmm. that, 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 that got the ball rolling for us when it looked like no one could hit a three. Um, I, I want to talk about Allen for a second. Uh, he was, you know, you say he, he lifted us and that he had uh, a great game. What Grayson Allen had was a great seven minutes and 22 seconds. In the final seven minutes of 22 seconds of that game, Grayson Allen scored 18 points. The final seven minutes of the game, he scored 18 points. Um, during that same final seven minutes of the game, Pitt scored 19 points. So Grayson almost beat them uh, down the stretch. Uh, obviously, Duke got points from some other guys as well, which is why we were able to pull away. Um, and uh, Allen hit four three-pointers, uh, three in a row. Um, they were great, and that's really what won the game for us. But I wanted to mention he had a driving layup um, uh, with 6.39 left in the game. Duke was up just three points. He'd hit a three a few moments earlier. Um, Pitt then hit a couple free throws, I think it was, to trim the lead back to just three points. Um, And he came down and he hit a layup where he was moving away from the basket and he had to, you know, he had to fully extend his arm. Um, uh, The layup may have technically been shot in the lane, but I think his arm was outside the lane. And he put an unbelievable amount of English on it to, to put it up off the glass it was one of the best shots that I've seen him hit all year. Um, uh, really impressive, and and it felt a little bit like, wait a second, is is this Grayson Allen? Is this you know 
the player that we expected to be National Player of the Year, is he suddenly coming back? Um, and I've got a great stat for you. Through Duke's first seven ACC games, when we were just three and four, um, and Grayson only played in six of those, but through Duke's first seven ACC games, Grayson was averaging 13.2 points per game, which is okay. It's not like you're going to go, 13 points a game, he sucks. But that's not what we'd expected from him. In the past three games where Duke is 3-0, and Grayson is averaging more than 20 points a game, 20.3 points per game in his past three ACC games. Um, and the Grayson Allen who gets 20-plus points a game, um, uh, you know, uh, efficiently, not taking bad shots, and, and that's what he's been doing the past few games, that's the Grayson Allen that everyone expected to be probably the best player in the country. Um, and if that's starting to happen for Duke, watch out ACC, because, uh, you know, that, that's, that's where Duke becomes the juggernaut that, that people expected them to be. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out really quickly, um, uh, Donald, you mentioned the three-pointers uh, in the second half, and, and they certainly led us back, and, and we had to keep shooting them because we had to hit them because it's such an important part of, of our offense. Um, but I went and I looked at that uh, at the shot chart again. You guys know I, I, I looked at it last game for uh, Notre Dame, and, and there were some really interesting things I noticed about our, our second half shooting because um, uh, we didn't take shots outside of the lane against Notre Dame. Uh, we did take shots outside of the lane um, uh, against Pitt, and uh, I was a little disappointed by some of them. Um, uh, we, we took, in the second half alone, we took four shots outside of the lane, uh, which doesn't seem like that many, but it's twice as many as we took against Notre Dame. And uh, plus, Jason Tatum ha- took and missed about a, a 14 or 15-footer, you know, from straight away that, you know, feels like it's in the lane, but but it was more like one of those jump shots that, that I'm, I'm hoping and I'm thinking that, that for this Duke team to be great, we need to somewhat avoid... Uh, we are so good when we take the ball at the hoop, uh, and we're so good from three. I think everything in between is potentially not a great shot for us. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, I think it's great that Duke was able to to win a game where, where Luke Kennard uh, wasn't able to carry us on offense, not able to carry us at all. Luke Kennard just one of five in the second half, four of 12 for the entire game. Um, only 10 points. Uh, obviously, Luke Kennard is, has been our 20-plus point, uh, point per game scorer thus far this season, and uh, uh, we needed someone else. Um, Emil Jefferson scored 15 points. Grayson Allen, you know, as I mentioned, had 18 points down the stretch. He had 21 total. And, and like I said, Jason Tatum had a, had a really nice game um, uh, from the perimeter. Uh, he didn't shoot as much as he has lately, uh, which, you know, I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I kind of like him shooting when he's moving toward the basket. Um, but uh, this game, Jason Tatum took the least shots of any of the starters. He only took seven field goal attempts. Um, uh, oh, and one other thing I want to ask you guys about, let's talk about the bench for a second. Hey, I was going to ask you the same question. Go for it. <laughs> well, so I'm going to turn it on you. Why do you think Duke has almost abandoned our bench? Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard each played 40 minutes. Emil Jefferson, 36. Jason Tatum, 35. The only real bench, bench play we got was uh, Uncle Matt, Matty Jones, had 14 minutes off the bench. Even though he's, he's hobbled a little bit, he, he's got a, a, a bad leg injury. Not a bad one, but uh, well, he's affecting him. He's hobbled in general. He doesn't move as well as anybody else even when he's hobbled. Yeah, right. 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 Uh, but I was a little bit mystified. Harry Giles only had seven minutes. They were seven good minutes, though. Uh, you know, it, 
he had five points in seven minutes, which is, you know, if he'd played more, you feel like maybe Harry Giles would have done more. I was really surprised. So, Sam, let me put it to you. What do you think's going on with the with the bench there? What's going on with Harry Giles? I think that the, well, Harry Giles had five points. Two of them were on an alley-oop that he, I don't think, did a whole lot of work. Or was it an alley-oop or was it a putback? But he didn't do a whole lot of work for it. He He happened to be in the right place. And then the other one was that weird, um, was that weird jumper from like 16 feet that that I thought was a, a strange choice. So yes, he had five points. I don't think that Harry Giles was creating shots or or you know making the offense something that it that it isn't without him. Um, even though yes, in that time he he was fine. I think that really the the factor was that on defense he he couldn't stay in front of guys and hasn't really been able to do that much at all since he's been back from the injury. You can tell that he's He's still, uh, you know, at his best because he's not able to hang with dudes. And we know that in high school he was he was such an animal that he should he should be able to do that. Um, I, the only thing that is concerning about to me, like so, so with Giles, if Giles can't hang defensively, um, he I, he becomes really a liability very quickly. What concerns me, and and maybe he's hurt, uh, is is Marquise Bolden who basically didn't play at all. I mean, he had, what, two minutes or something? Um, one, one. Yeah, he only played a one minute. minute. He, came yeah. in, he, he came in once in the first half, and that was it. So um, the it, it, it's strange that for all the size that we have on this team, and, and I guess Jeter is still hurt, but for all the size, pretty much all we see are Jefferson and Tatum, and Tatum, you know, in college has to be a post player, but it's not like he projects to be a post player in in his professional life. And I think in the ideal world for him would be playing a lot more small forward than he is this year, where he's almost exclusively playing power forward at this point in the season. So um, I, I think it's, it's probably a matter of defense because that's what the coaches always say it is. It's just, it's concerning that with, you know, a guy like Jones injured and not able to play more than 20 minutes, Bolden can't get on the floor. Giles can't be out there for longer. But I guess I understand it because this is this is the Coach K way. And if he wants to have a five and a half man rotation, that's what he's going to do, right, Donald? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I actually wanted to pose a question to you as well, since you were there um, about Coach K. I feel like you know this is his first game back, and he seemed very into it. He seemed you know like he was uh, doing a little bit extra as far as like getting up off the bench coaching the players, telling them, you know, what they need, where they need to be on the I floor. Could, uh, yeah, was that something that, that you saw? Yes. I, I was going to say that he seemed, while still physically limited, because the guy isn't moving that great. Right. Um, he's turned, he's turning 70 next week. So, um, but he was moving around uh, and he was, I noticed too, that he was doing a lot of coaching and yelling and pointing and all the things that, that we expect him to be doing. And there was even a point, I don't know if they showed us this on TV where Jeff Cable was the one up and yelling at guys. Um, and then Coach K got up and kind of, I don't know if he tapped him, but he but he definitely made a motion and they just sort of switched places. Uh, uh-huh. Where then Coach K took the place of him standing on the sideline and yelling. And uh, it was really great to see. I also don't know if they showed how much he came out and appreciated the crowd before and after the game. They he He only walked out like he normally does. He only walked out before the game, like five minutes before it started, like when everyone was coming out on the floor and got a great ovation, was waving at everybody. He, you know, he waved at all the different sections of the arena. And then after the game, 
the players all went to go high five the student section and coach k kind of went to the middle of the court and just looked around for a minute and waved at everyone again was doing you know he didn't have the crazies i'll do that that bowing thing to him and he was he was reciprocating it um so he was he was clearly excited to be back on the court as much as the duke fans in the in the stands were were hyped to see him again i was just gonna say really quickly he commented that that he got a little tear in his eye and and there's a great quote from him um that i was uh, reading in the postgame thing that sports center highlighted where he said you forget how lucky you are until something gets taken away from you and then he said i'm gonna be 70 year old years old in a week or so and i still get to do this thank god uh you know you uh, he's right when something when something happens and you have to sort of question your priorities and and question how much longer you're going to get to do things maybe uh you 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 really you appreciate what you've got and uh uh it it seemed like he was really really happy to be back doing what he loves you know one of the funny things about about going to games in Cameron and and I think that we're all lucky enough to have been to a number of them is that every time you go it's it, you know it's not a very big arena and the same people are always sitting in the same places, right? Like you can look around the arena and, and even if you don't know anybody, you can look around and be like, I know that that guy sits there. I know that those people work there. Um, you know, here's where, here's where all the different things are happening in Cameron. It's very orchestrated. It's very orderly, even though, you know, there's a lot of energy and, and there's a lot going on. It's all, it's all part of this one like great symphony of, of fandom and, and I really felt that when Coach K was looking around at everybody, because I was like, oh, in this moment, he, now he's looking at President Broadhead. Oh, now he's looking at his wife. Oh, now he's looking at the recruits. And oh, he's going to go say hi to a couple people and, and shake hands with the people sitting right behind the bench. Like there's a whole, there's a whole order to it. Uh, and he's really at the center of that because how many people have been, have been sitting in Cameron and going to games longer than he has, right? Um, so it, it, was, it was just really cool. And we were sitting, I was with my father, and we were sitting way up at the top of the arena and it was cool just kind of seeing all that and there are there are lots of different components but they're all they're all there every time for the same reason so with 10 games of the acc season done duke is six and four and now we face uh what may be uh <laughs> the 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 biggest game of the second half of the season um as we attempt to make a push back toward the top of the conference we play the team that is at the top of the conference <clears throat> and oh they happen to be our biggest rival the north carolina tar heels come to durham um on thursday a uh, big national tv game of course where we play uh the hated tar heels who are 9 and 2 in the acc they they have a one game lead they're 21 and 4 overall uh, and, and guys, before we start the preview, actually, I guess we're starting the preview right now. I want to point out something about Carolina. They are, uh, they're a great team. They're much better than I expected they would be this year. Uh, but I've got a little interesting fact for you. They are only three and three in real road games against power conference teams. I'm, I'm not going to count, you know, they, they played a couple pretend road games, so to speak, uh, against, you know, smaller schools early in the season. But against legit power conference teams, they've played six games on the road this year, and they're 3-3. Three and three. They lost to Indiana by 9. They lost to Georgia Tech by 12. They lost to Miami by 15 in their three wins. They beat Clemson by only three points. They beat Wake by only six points. They beat BC by only eight points. So here they are, ready to play at Duke. 
And I think everyone is going to think this is this huge, major, important test. Um, and, and I think a lot of folks will think that Carolina probably is favored in this game because Carolina's been playing so well and Duke's only started playing better recently. But I think Carolina really struggles on the road, um, I, you know, as, as indicated from those scores I just said. Uh, and, and so, guys, one of the things I wanted to do here, what I thought would be interesting seeing is every Duke, every Duke fan pays attention to UNC uh, and, and knows a bit about them. And, and frankly, the guys who are good for Carolina this year are, are the same guys who seem like they've been there forever. <laughs> Uh, so I, I want to put to each one of you all the bad years, all the bad years, not the bad years, but the but the down years of UNC since their since their last championship have kind of been held down by the same guys. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. So even so though they I did make the championship last year, we acknowledge that. Right. So <laughs> what what I uh, what I'm going to ask us to do? I want to see if we can be smart about one thing, and uh, so I'm going to ask each one of you for your one key thing to the Duke-UNC game coming up on Thursday. And Donald, you get to go first. What's the one key thing we need to watch against Carolina? Uh, well, I won't say what we're going to watch for. I think that the key to the game from our standpoint is energy. And, you know, we look at the stats for UNC, and you said that they're, they've been playing really great this year. They, they average almost 90 points a game. They get 45 rebounds. They get 18 assists, 7 steals, 3 blocks. They shoot the ball well. They shoot free throws well. They shoot threes pretty decently. They do everything well. But what we have in our corner is something that very few people in college can ever even attempt to replicate, and that's energy. Um, you're going to be in front of a wild Cameron who has been, you know, the students have been out there for a month. They've been ready to go, and you're going to have everyone jacked up for this game. We have to play smart, but we, we have to use that energy, that that building is going to have that powder keg we have to use that to our advantage and i think that is the main thing take out everything i mean you, you, you the, the whole saying goes for these kind of games the cliche is throughout the record books throughout the stats it doesn't really matter because this is duke north carolina right we have that energy and that energy is going to be present whether whether you throw the stats out or not and and i think that is what we need to take advantage of and i think that is the real key if this team can play with the energy that we have seen uh, you know, against, for example, uh, Notre Dame, that type of energy that we know that we have to play balls out for 40 minutes against a really good team, we have a chance to win this game. Sam, your turn. What is your one key thing? Oh, we talked about how UNC is a similar team to the, to the one they've been in the past and that, Jason, you said that you didn't expect them to be as good as they were last year. Um which I think was a reasonable take because they lost Marcus Page and they lost Bryce Johnson off of last year's team that made it to the NCAA final. And they were asking, um, they were asking a couple guys to, who were starters or, or, or big rotation players last year, guys like Joel Berry, to pick up more of the slack from what they were previously doing. So how was that going to affect everything? Well, Joel Berry has been, has been the engine driving this team this year. He's done a, a fabulous job uh, playing point guard for UNC, taking over from Marcus Page. And I think that the key, you, I think you're going to mention a different key. I think one of my keys against Carolina is, is figuring out how to frustrate Barry because we know that, that UNC runs on point guards and um, Barry's having a great season. He's shooting well. He's passing pretty well, um, but he's not an especially huge guy. So I wonder 
what Duke throws at him on defense. Is Matt Jones going to be healthy to, to get up in his face? Um, maybe Duke puts a bigger player on him. Maybe Frank Jackson is on him and just and hounds him with a little more energy. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what Duke does against Joel Berry, who has, who has taken over the reins of the, the vaunted UNC point guard position and, and has played really well and led this team uh, to some pretty impressive victories this season. Uh, really good. Um, and both you guys hit on excellent points. My one key thing uh, is rebounding. Uh, it, it always seems like it's rebounding when it comes to Carolina because um, uh, Roy Williams' teams tend to rebound really, really well. Uh, I'm about to throw some numbers at you. Get ready. Jason Statboy is here. Carolina leads the nation in rebounding. I want to repeat that. They lead the entire country. 351 teams play college basketball at the Division I level, and UNC grabs more rebounds than anyone else in the country. They grab 44.8 rebounds per game. And just for perspective, Duke grabs 37.7, and we're 137th in the country. So it's number one versus number 137. And the place where Carolina is really great is on the offensive boards. They grab 16.3 offensive rebounds per game. Duke gets only 11 offensive rebounds per game. Um, so that is a place where I think Carolina is going to try to win the game. And that's a place where I think you know Duke has shown that they can be a little bit vulnerable at times. We saw Pitt take advantage inside. Um, uh, and Carolina, you know, Carolina's big men are better than the Pitt big men. Uh, I worry tremendously about Kennedy Meeks. Uh, he weighs 260 pounds. We talked about um, that, that Knicks guy for Pittsburgh that we had trouble moving around. And, and granted, Knicks was 300 pounds, but Kennedy Meeks is 260, and he knows how to play. He's really hard to move off of his spot. He gets in great rebounding position. Um, and uh, the Duke big men... Um, Emil Jefferson weighs 225. Jason Tatum weighs 205. Candy Meeks is much bigger than them. Now, when you get to the bench, we get some guys who, who have, you know, uh, closer to Kennedy Meeks's weight of 260. Harry Giles is 240, which surprises me a little bit because he looks a little more frail than that. Um, Marquise Bolden is 245, and Vrank, Vrank the Tank, and I think we may see Vrank the Tank in this game. He weighs 261 pounds, so he outweighs Kennedy Meeks by a whole pound. Um, but I think rebounding and keeping Carolina out of the middle is going to be important. And I mentioned Kennedy Meeks, but the other guy I'm going to mention, we've talked about how Carolina is largely the same team they were in the past. Um, the major addition I think that they've made is Tony Bradley, who, who's a freshman, uh, and, and he's a, a big man. And the NBA uh, is very interested in Tony Bradley. He's 6'10", 240-pound forward, um, doesn't score a ton, Gets about seven points a game, um, but grabs almost six rebounds a game while only playing about 15 minutes a game. Uh, six rebounds in 15 minutes is a really, really good rebounding rate. Um, if this guy played regular starter minutes, this guy would easily average double-digit rebounds. Um, uh, Roy Williams, as we know, always plays a very deep bench, um, uh, and, and Carolina rebounds great as a team, but the guys I really worry about, the guys who I think do the most damage on the boards, are Kennedy Meeks and Tony Bradley. Um, uh, and it's going to be very tough for Duke. And, and, you know, if ever we needed Giles and Bolden uh, and, and perhaps Frank to, to be able to help us out on the inside, I think this is it. Um, we, we've shown Tatum and Jefferson have gotten in foul trouble in some recent games. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for us to keep Carolina off the line. Uh, their big men are great at drawing fouls and taking free throws. 
So yeah, Ken- uh, Kennedy Meeks. Kennedy Meeks is one of those few, like true college centers who, you know, most of his points are coming from are coming from putbacks. Um, he's not he's not stepping out to take threes or anything. Uh, he's he's really there to anchor the post. And you know, maybe maybe Duke, as you said, maybe we do see Bolden or, or Vrankovic or somebody just standing down there with him and and you know, take the offensive hit because you need to have a body on Kennedy Meeks at all times because he gobbles up rebounds and puts them back in the basket on the offensive end as as well as anybody in college does. Yeah, and, you know, in my in the course of my research, uh, and this doesn't have to do with rebounding, but I just wanted to add this in. I was really shocked by this. Um, Carolina's a better three-point shooting team than Duke is. I, that really surprised me to find out. Carolina hits 37.5% of their three-pointers, and Duke hits 36.5%. Um, it's yes. not a huge difference. Not a huge difference, but but a, a UNC team that hits three-pointers, because in the past they haven't been really great from the from the perimeter. Uh, but Justin Jackson but and Joel Perry. But they were in 2009. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, and, and I think they feel like they have a chance to win the national title this year, a really legitimate chance, because... They have a really nice combination of inside-out game. Uh, Justin Jackson and Joel Berry uh, are, are having excellent, excellent seasons from the perimeter. Um, and, and when those two guys are going and you combine that with the inside banging that they get from Hicks and Meeks and Bradley, whew, it's, uh, this is a really, really tough UNC team. They, they do a lot of things well. I mean, there's a reason they've only lost two games in the ACC. You guys got anything else for this UNC preview? I'm, 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 I'm scared. I'm excited, and I'm ready for us to finally get this game going. Sounds good. Go Devils. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we did something kind of fun, and we talked about the tenting quiz, which was uh, all the folks got in line. To, to get in the tents so that they could be, you know, first in line for the UNC game. And there were so many tents that, uh, uh, that wanted to, to, you know, to so many students that wanted to be in tents for the UNC game that um, the, the line monitors had to find a way to sort of sort them out. Uh, and so uh, the, the way they determined the black tenting, which is the most um, intense tenting, but also gets the first spots, um, the way they determined which tents would get those and get the best seats for Carolina was they gave them a quiz. So once they'd sorted the black tents from the other tents, they then had to figure out which of the black tents would get to go first. And they did another quiz, and this was not an easy Duke history quiz. And so if your tent scored the best, you got to go to the front of the line. And so guys, like we did a couple weeks ago when we did the tenting quiz to determine whether or not the two of you would qualify to be in a black tent, and I think you did, you both did quite nicely, we are now going to do the quiz, not all of it because it's incredibly long, we're just going to do some portions of it, Um, uh, I'm going to ask the two of you and we're going to see which of the two of you uh, is able to win the right to be the first tent in the Duke tenting line for the Carolina game. Are, Are you guys ready? Have you studied it all for this? No. Not at all. Not as, and it's not very early in the morning. I don't expect to do well. <laughs> right, we should <laughs> we should we should factor in the fact that it is uh yeah it's still probably dark where where Sam is 
uh, out there in Denver. So uh, I'll start with a couple easy ones because there were some easy ones on this. At least for me, I thought they were easy. Um, first question, and I'm not again. I'm not doing all the questions, and just shout out your answer as quickly as you can. Um, uh, the 1986 Duke Blue Devils featured four seniors who had been four-year starters. Who is the only returning starter for the 1987 team? Uh, Tommy Amaker. You are correct, yeah. sir. Hey. One, one for Sam. <laughs> I was alive during that. Barely. <laughs> I See, was I not can, alive during that. That, that, can, that is a correction. Right. I consider that one incredibly easy because I was there at the time. Right. Uh, before making the shot, Christian Leitner made another NCAA tournament buzzer beater in the East Regional Finals in 1990. What program did he beat with his shot? Oh, Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut? Connecticut. Yeah, yes. Sam said, oh, Sam said it first. Sam said it first. Correct. UConn is two to nothing. Which Duke player holds the ACC record for most points in a single game, 58, against Miami? Danny Ferry. Danny Ferry. No, wait. No, against Miami. Yes, it was Danny Ferry, and Donald got it in a heartbeat early okay. before you did. Two to okay. one. By the way, all these questions so far have been about when I was at Duke. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was difficult for them. There you go, right. Th those poor youngsters. If only they had me standing next to them. <laughs> Uh, what is the exact seating capacity of Cameron Indoor Stadium? 9,314. I think Donald was just a heartbeat faster than you, Sam. Ah, all right. Two to two. This is a great battle. This is a great battle. Uh, so here's what I want you to do on this one. Um, if you think you know the answer, say buzz, and whoever buzzes first will get to answer it first. Okay. At the end of the 2015-16 season, Duke had recorded 2,087 Division I victories. That made us the fourth, had the fourth most victories of all time. Which three schools have more victories buzz. than Duke? Ah, buzz. Buzz. <laughs> all right. Sam, definitely buzz first. Give me the yeah. three. Kentucky. Yes. North Carolina. Yes. And Kansas. You are correct. Sam takes a 3-2 to two lead. Is Indiana right behind us? I think Indiana's right behind us. Uh, Indiana, uh, it, it, I believe it is Indiana. St. John's is in there too, although they right. St. John's is now now if, and... now if a certain program's uh, wins get vacated, will they drop behind us? Oh, oh yeah, by a lot. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I'm thinking we're going to see a couple hundred <laughs> wins gone, um, at least if not more than that. Okay, next I'm going to hit you with guys with some lists. Um, this is not going to be easy, <clears throat> and. <clears throat> <laughs> so next i'm going to hit you guys with some lists this is not going to be easy what we're going to do is we're going to ping pong back and forth and and because at the moment uh, uh, uh sam is leading three to two uh I, I will have donald go first because uh he gets a, a little bit of advantage by going first um you're going to have to ping pong back and forth on this list so the first list is going to be retired jerseys i need the name and number. Now, the actual quiz also asks for the year of jersey retirement. I'm not going to make you do that. Ooh, but if those have, are tough. Yeah, those are have, tough. If you have the year, then props to you. And there are some of them where the year, I, I, when I was doing this myself, I was like, oh, I know that. I know that because I knew the year the player had graduated or something like that, or I knew about when they had done the jersey retirement. But um, so, uh, uh, Donald, you will go first. I need the name and number of a retired jersey, and we'll go back and forth. All right, well, I'll start in the middle with uh, Shane Battier, number 31. Okay. For the I, will start at, I will start at the end, J.J. Redick, number four. 
Donald. Sheldon Williams, 23. Are we just going to go in, in, in yeah. order of the retirements? Um, oh, uh, so, then, uh, so then we have Jason Williams, number 22. Bobby Hurley, 11. Grant Hill, 33. Christian Leitner, 32. Johnny Dawkins. I know I'm going out of order on the order of retirements, but Johnny Dawkins, uh, who is 24. Mike Chaminsky, 43. Dick Rote, number 10. R. Heyman, 25. Jeff Mullins, 44. Wow. You can... There's only one left. Um, the one left is Danny Ferry, 35. Yep. Oh, my God. You... Guys, that was really impressive. <laughs> I am... I am so impressed that you guys did that. It, it uh, got a little harder not... towards the end when we didn't go. We started going out of order again. Yeah. Get to remember. You don't want to say the same one again. I, I, am, I am blown away. Um, hey, did they I will freely of... admit. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll, I'll freely admit that when I was doing it, I forgot Jeff Mullins. As, I don't know how, but as I, I forgot think a Jeff lot Mullins. of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, did, speaking of retired jerseys, did they – did they point out Dick Grote during the uh, during the uh, the TV broadcast of the game? I didn't see it. They normally do every year when we play Pitt um, in Cameron. It was, well, or it was fun, there. I think, because wasn't because Grant Hill was calling was calling the TV right was was on the TV feed. He was, and, yeah. And yes, Dick he was. Grote was on the radio for for Pittsburgh. So we had two retired jerseys in the building calling the game. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so right. we had no winner of that one, although I. I, I am tempted to give you both a point. <laughs> really impressive, guys. Uh, okay, so moving on. Um, the next list we're going through, and again, this was on the quiz. Um, so uh, the current Duke students were asked to do this. List all of Duke's ACC Rookies of the Year, ACC Rookie of the Year who played at Duke. And because Donald got to go first last time, Sam, you go first this time. Jabari Parker. Jason Williams. Wrong. Uh, Damn. Ooh, so do I have to get one to steal it? No, you you already stole it. All right, you you got the point. It's no, this it's, is like uh, family feud, right? He's got to get. Can the I give you? Money. Can I give you Jolly Locafor and, and Greg Paulus too? Uh, Greg Paulus was not ACC rookie of the. Are you kidding me? No. Okay, he gets his point taken away for that. I'm <laughs> saying, Greg Paulus was not ACC rookie of the year. Not he even close. Him, I thought. I oh, I thought it was because he had an incredible freshman year. He was uh, good. He was good as a but, freshman, but but he wasn't but incredible. Okafor, but but Jolly Okafor won it, didn't he? Yes. So did and Austin did Rivers. So did Austin Rivers, Kyle Singler, Chris Duhon, Gene Banks, yeah. Mike Jaminski, oh. Jim Spinarkel. Mike Jaminski, you guys should have gotten. Well, Mike see, Jiminski I was trying to say, I was trying to say Duhon for like later on, because Mike Jaminski was a because Mike Jaminski was a was a freshman. What in 1978? Right. 77. Yeah. But he was incredible as a freshman. Okay, yeah. so uh, as we move on, so it's currently Sam for Donald two. On and kind of short, uh, list every Duke National Defensive Player of the Year along with the year they won the award. And, All right, let's uh, do this. Don- Donald, because you're trailing, I'll let you go first. Well, I'll go Shane Battier, 2001, although he did win two other ones. Uh, yeah, Shane so- Battier, 2000. No, 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 no. So, (laughs) (laughs) good try, though. Good try. Actually, that's fine. That's fine. We'll do that. And so, Donald, you get to say Shane Battier, 1999. I just did. Yes. So, So, so so I'm back on you. All right. Sheldon Williams, 2006. Sheldon Williams, 2005. 
uh, Grant Hill, 1992. Wrong, 1993. But man, that's really good. <laughs> no, wait. Grant Hill. Oh, 90, yeah, shoot. Nah, 93. All right. Sorry. Not, so, uh, Donald, to steal, you need to name one other. Sheldon Williams, 2004. No. That is incorrect. Oh. Because he won it in 2005. He won and, five and, and six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He only won that two years. It. He only won two years. Can I redeem uh, so, myself? So, so wait, yeah. So to determine the winner here, uh, I'm, I'm going to drop the years. You don't have to do the years. You guys are doing incredible at this. I'm really impressed. Uh, only the players. So uh, whose turn is it? Donald. Donald, your turn. I, I only want players. Tommy Amaker. Steve Wojciechowski. Um, Jaminski? No, the original. The, um, very, the very first great Duke defensive player. Um, it, it was, it was, he was on the team with Tommy Amaker, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying, so it's, so it's one of those guys. Is it Henderson? Billy King. King. Billy King. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Billy King. <clears throat> and I will remember to this day what Billy King did to Mark Macon. Mark Macon of Temple. M most people listening to the podcast right now are like, who? What? I know Mark Macon. <laughs> Mark, Mark Macon, Macon. Mark Macon was, was, the, was the GM of the Nets. Or he is the GM of the Nets. Yeah. Mark, Mark Macon was the best player in college basketball. Um, and Temple was a number one seed and was a really great team. And Billy King still haunts Mark Macon in Mark Macon's dreams. Nightmares, I should say. Uh, what Billy King did to Mark Macon defensively in the NCAA tournament um, is the stuff of legend. Uh, so uh, who won that one? You guys are both we, doing think, so well. I think, I think that was also a tie. Yeah. yeah. You guys are really good. All right, it's going to get a little bit harder. Uh, list every lottery pick Coach K has ever had. So oh, again, we'll ping pong them back and forth. Um, uh, Sam, your turn to go first. I need a lottery pick under Coach K. Kyrie Irving. Brandon Ingram. Jabari Parker. Uh, Jalil Okafor. Uh, J.J. Redick. Jason Williams. Sheldon Williams. Uh, Shane Battier. Your boy, uh, Mike Dunleavy. Elton Brand. Corey Maggette. Um, Grant Hill. You guys are really Christian good. Lane. <laughs> Christian Lane. Um, trying to, trying to stump. Um, Jason, did we, did we miss anybody in, in my lifetime? In your lifetime? Uh, yes, you have. Okay. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I'm trying not to go back over people we haven't done. Austin Rivers. Correct. Luol Deng. Nice. Um, might be running low. You're running, you're running low. And this is lottery. We're, we're counting the top 14 or whatever, right? That's the I mean, lottery. Yeah. Well, the, the lottery, lottery the, was, the number has changed over the years. Right. It was the top seven, then it was the top 13, then it was the top 14. Right. Um, 
I think I'm going to blow this. There are only three left. I think I'm going to blow this. Um, I'm going to give you a hint. He, he is one of the all-time greats. His jersey's retired. Oh, Johnny Dawkins. That's incorrect. There wasn't a lottery back then. Johnny Dawkins had a lottery. <laughs> there wasn't a lottery back then. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of right. later on. Go ahead. There was I will no take, lottery. Uh, Bobby Hurley. That is correct. Uh, nice. the, the other <laughs> God, guys. Did we miss Rodney? Who was Rodney Hood a lottery pick? Rodney he was Hood. Not. What? He was, he was not. He was picked like number twenty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In fact, I desperately wanted the Hawks to take him, and the Hawks because they passed over him, and the Hawks didn't take him. And and um, was Josh McRoberts after freshman year? It was, not a choice. I know who it was. I, we missed Justice Winslow. You missed Justice Winslow. Yep. You missed Gerald Henderson. Yep. Oh my and gosh. You, and you missed Danny Ferry. Yep. All well, right. see, that's, that was where, like, Ferry, I was like, are we thinking, you know, the lottery back then was a lot smaller than it, was, than it is now. Yeah, but Ferry went third. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so if there was a lottery, he made it. Right. Okay, so uh, 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 we should start wrapping this up. I'm going to uh, give you a couple others. Uh, and, again, there were lots more questions on this quiz, but I'm, I'm enjoying this. You guys are doing so well. Uh, even though Sam is leading 5-2, to two, Donald, I, I mean – you guys are doing awesome. You guys would definitely qualify to be close to the front of the uh, uh, of the line for sure. As we Ain't said, nothing wrong as we with said previously. Too. As we said previously, I sure hope so. Yeah, right. Uh, I need you to name the four players who score. And actually, here's another one. Let, let's buzz in on this um, because I, I think you should be able to name all four of them. Um, so buzz in if you want to name the four players who scored in double figures in Duke's first national title win. Buzz. Okay. All right. Uh, first national title win would be yes. in 1991. Um, so that would be Christian Leitner. Like, okay, I feel like you're stalling. Go ahead. Yeah. Christian Leitner, <laughs> Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley. Wrong. Uh, I said wrong. Grant Hill, right. despite the, 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 the dunk, the, the ridiculous dunk where he, where, he almost hit his, yeah, where he almost hit his head on the backboard. Uh, did not score in double digits in the first national title game. Um, Donald, do you want to try and take it? Uh, it was Leitner, Hurley. Oh my gosh, wait, 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 I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Grant Hill did score in double figures. Okay. Oh, well then so, Sam's still on five. So I sorry. I am so sorry. So I have one pig left. Um, yes. Uh, Hur- and Hurley is correct. You, you both have gotten those three. Um, is it Davis? That is incorrect. Donald, do you want to try and guess who was the player that scored? Was it Thomas Hill? No. Is it, uh, was it McCaffrey? It is Billy McCaffrey. Billy. Who promptly promptly transferred. Right. (laughs) Really good, guys. Really good. All right, so last question. Name the seven, and you guys can ping pong on this, the seven original members of the ACC. Back in 1953. Donald, go first. Duke. North Carolina. Maryland. Uh, Clemson. Wake Forest. North Carolina State. South Carolina? Donald. That's yes! <laughs> that is really, really good. Yeah, and then uh, Virginia and- joined the next year. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina left, which a lot of people don't remember, and that's when we, I believe, got Georgia Tech. I want to say or Florida yeah, State around the same time. Yeah, 
to get All to right, nine. So we could do this, we could do this forever, guys. I'm I'm so impressed. Y'all were really y'all were really really good at this. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Even if you yes. think even if you think you're supposed to be really good at it, you were still really really good at it. Uh, well, considering I, we I, both I, did this at like seven and and five fifty in the morning respectively, and uh, we did not study for this. Um, I have a good feeling that you know tent one. You're 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 talking to him right now. That's right. That's us. <laughs> the two Get of you me. could be tent number one. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right, guys, it's about time to wrap up this edition of the DBR podcast. But before we do, it is time for parting shots. Sam, I'll let you go first. What is your parting shot? I didn't get to ask him if it would be okay if I named him on the podcast, but uh, I met a DBR listener on my flight home on Saturday. So, or it was my flight from it was from Raleigh back to uh, Baltimore. But uh, so, if I met you on the flight and I talked to you, um, hey, shout out to you, uh, and feel free to uh, send us a message. Um, because I didn't get your contact information. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my parting shot. I bet, I, way, bet, I, I bet a DPR left. Yeah. Um, I, I think it worth noting at this point that um, we, we've, we've mentioned in the past, we would love to get emailed questions and things like that. Um, PM us on the boards, uh, you know, uh, drop us email or something, you know, figure out a way to get in touch with us. It's not like we hide. Um, uh, let us know if you have questions, if you want to be a part of the podcast by, by giving us questions and, and maybe at some point we'll, we'll put a bunch of them together and, and answer a, a bunch of them if we can. Um, uh, but, but, uh, you mentioning that Sam is a, is a good excuse for me to mention that, that we'd love to hear from you Duke fans, um, uh, fans of the podcast, all six of you, um, uh, let us know and, and we will, uh, we will gladly attempt to answer your questions. Yeah, um, I think the easiest way to get in touch with us is by sending us a private message on the uh, on the forum, um, which also encourages you to sign up for the forum and check it out. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And or we have a thread. Every time we do one of these, we, we, we create a thread on the forum and we encourage folks to post in that thread and, and make comments and things like that. For example, um, last week we had a comment where someone said that Sam's audio was uh, a little <laughs> low. That, that person was correct. Um, it was very difficult to hear Sam. I, I'm the editor uh, of, of about 90% of these, and, and usually uh, I try and find a way to boost some of the audio when I hear it being really low, and I didn't do a good enough job boosting Sam this time. So uh, Sam, by the way, has much better audio. Um, did you get a new mic? What would you do, man? So I discovered that my computer actually does have a microphone, which I previously thought it didn't. And um, I had purchased this this microphone from the Internet that I've been usually using, and I discovered a few weeks ago that my computer has a microphone because on one of those weeks when I was out of town and, and doing sort of an improvised setup, I brought my microphone with me and I had it. I thought it was plugged into an appropriate jack. People are going to think I'm, a, I'm an IT idiot because uh, I'm 27 years old and don't know, how the, don't know how my computer works. But I had the USB microphone plugged into a different port. Uh, where it fit inside, I don't remember which port it was, but it fit inside the port and and stayed mostly in place. It like jiggled around a little bit, but it wasn't actually plugged in. Um, so the microphone wasn't oh, doing anything. Oh, come on. Wait, that, come on, really? That, yeah, I'm serious. Um, I'm, <laughs> You're an idiot. Feel, You're an idiot. Like this is, is going to prevent me from getting a job somewhere. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm that stupid. So um, No, wait. You know, you know what you are? You are my 85-year-old father. 
You're absolutely right. <laughs> that is what would happen to my dad. Jason, he'd call me. Jason, my computer isn't working. I don't understand. This mouse thing, it just doesn't work. Is it plugged it in, perfect, Dad? It was a perfect it, it was it was a perfect comedy of errors because the um I had the computer set up on a bed and so the the like blanket of the bed was like holding up the the wiggling um uh uh USB jack that was not actually plugged in. So I thought that it was <laughs> I thought I I thought I had just gotten the fifty fifty right on which way to plug the USB in, and that was it. So, um, yeah, I'm done. Dude, that should have been your parting shot. I, I, I finally figured I finally <laughs> figured out how to plug stuff into my plug headphones into my computer. I mean, usually usually I do it right, but just this time I didn't, and it worked oh out. Boy. Oh boy, <laughs> Do Donald, it is your turn. Can you top that? <laughs> I. No, I can't. Uh, I, I was just going to mention something similar to what Sam was in his original uh, parting shot is that uh, it's really cool to uh, talk to people about Duke basketball and they mention that they listen to a bunch of podcasts and independently of knowing about the fact that, you know, I host co-host a podcast with you guys, uh, they mentioned this podcast. They say, yeah, these guys are really good. And I like listening to them. They have a nice little banter and they go back and forth. And then I get to be the one to tell them that one of those three uh, losers that they listen to uh, is, is me. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of times, like some of my friends in the last couple of weeks have just now discovered the podcast and they're now e emailing me questions and, and uh, wanting to talk about different things. And a lot of them actually want to be on the podcast. And um, uh, I think it's kind of cool that in the, the masses of, of the internet where there's probably billions of little podcasts here and there that people somehow find us. And, uh, for the, and now it's now eight of you. Uh, I think we've, we've gained two, uh, two more <laughs> avid listeners. Uh, so for the eight of you out there, thank you for listening and thank you for telling other people about it. Uh, especially I, when one of those other people happens to be me. I, I would say that, uh, or I would add that the guy who I met this weekend, um, I, had that similar experience where I found out he was listening before I admitted to him that that I was one of the guys on the show, and I asked him um, what he thought of it. You know, he said, "Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty good. I like them." So I was like, "Okay, I can I could admit this now." As opposed to him being like, "You know, I listen because it's there, but I don't really like it." I would have been like, "Okay, see you later." <laughs> yeah, I don't like those guys either. Yeah, they. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 a little surprised we don't hear more of of people like saying those guys suck, and I could do a better job. Because I, I think there are probably a lot of people out there who could do a better job. <laughs> so I, I, I have heard one such story at length um, that I think I shared with you guys, but I, I just don't feel like talking about here. Um, uh, one, right. one such example of that. <laughs> uh, and it's worth noting, by the way, um, though we laugh and we joke and we kid about six listeners, eight listeners, that kind of thing, um, to everyone out there, I am, I am just shocked and amazed that that we get like two thousand plus people who listen to every one of these. It's like crazy to me that 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 happens. And and you know we try to up our game. We try to come up with as much smart stuff as we can um, uh, to to be worthy of the the attention that we're getting from all of you. So thank you, thank mostly, you, thank you. Mostly we just study old ACC trivia. <laughs> clearly, clearly, you guys did a great job. Right. All right. So for my parting shot, uh, there is a an article about a, a Duke basketball player that I think is really interesting. Um, a, a former Duke basketball player. It's about JJ Redick. It was in the LA Times 
um, uh, today, uh, Monday, February 6th. Uh, I'm sorry, it was in the LA Times on Friday, February 3rd. Today is the, the 6th. Uh, and, and it hasn't gotten a lot of notice yet. Um, and, and the article about J.J. Reddick points out, starts out by pointing out that uh, some reporters were asking players in the Clippers, the L.A. Clippers locker room, who was going to win the upcoming boxing match between rappers Chris Brown and Soldier Boy. They're, they're having a boxing match. I'm not sure if you guys knew about that. Um, I, was and, I was aware. So uh, um, various players in the Clippers were weighing in and such, and the reporters came over to J.J. Redick and asked him who, who, he was, who he thought would win and he looked at the reporter quizzically and said, I spend most of my day reading op-eds about Donald Trump. I have no idea what you're talking about. And everyone yeah. laughed. Everyone thought that was hysterical, except for J.J. Reddick, who remained completely stone-faced. And, and Reddick later went on to say, I really wasn't kidding about that. Quote, he said, I'm a voracious reader, and I've become obsessed with Trump in the last six months. I don't speak about it because it's not my place, and I don't have a vo or I don't have a voice. Um, but I would say this, there's been a lot of jokes about Sean Spicer and alternative facts and things like that, and I don't think any of this is funny. I'm actually horrified right now. And J.J. goes on to talk a little bit about um, what he's learned about the Trump administration. Now, I, I don't bring this up. I, I don't, we're not getting political here. I'm not bringing this up to say, yay, J.J., you're t speaking out uh, against someone that, that maybe I personally find uh, absolutely deplorable. I bring it up because it's an interesting article about a guy who is really thoughtful. Um, uh, J.J. Reddick uh, is someone who has always valued the education that he got at Duke. And um, he is a voracious reader. Uh, and when you listen to his podcast, when you, you know, listen to interviews with him, you can tell that this is a guy who, even though basketball is where he makes his living, his brain um, is on other things. And I think that's just a really interesting degree of maturity and seriousness. Um, and it tells you something about the kind of person that J.J. Redick is. Um, and we, uh, as Duke fans, I think, are incredibly blessed to have guys who come through our program who are more than basketball players. Shane Battier is the most obvious example. People talk all the time about how thoughtful Shane Battier is. Um, uh, you know, a religion major, a guy who's really involved in politics, really aware of politics. Um, and, and you can put J.J. Reddick, I think, in that same kind of column. And one other thing I would add about it is I think that these, this awareness of the world, this uh, passion for learning and understanding and, and wanting to be involved in, in the discussion about what's going on in the world, uh, there is a basketball side to that. I consider guys who are like that, guys like J.J. Reddick, guys like Shane Battier, I consider folks like that to be really great basketball players because they're thinking about the game in addition to just playing the game. So much of it is instinct, but so much, much of it is also have you prepared yourself mentally to succeed. And I think um, the guys who are able to, guys who are able to, to really be smart about the world also tend to be really smart about basketball. So I really enjoyed this article about J.J. Redick and the fact that he is somewhat obsessed with um, our new president. Uh, and I share his obsession. <laughs> Jason, did you did that article get find its way to the DVR forum this week? Uh, it did not, which is one of the reasons I, I, I brought it up. I, I, I mean, I will freely admit, even though all three of us are moderators of the forum and we do our best to, to read as many posts as we can so that we can make sure that everything is happening, things happening the way it's supposed to, 
um, uh, this article didn't, I, I, I'm not aware, maybe someone else linked it someplace else, but I did not see a link for it on the DBR forum. But when we do the, uh, the thread for the, the podcast this week, I will be sure to put a link to the article um, in that thread. Great. There we go. Gentlemen, do you have anything else or are we, oh my goodness, I just realized something. We didn't do player of the week. That is on me. I'm hosting this week. I'm supposed to be the person responsible for keeping us on track. So we're going to do player of the week really, really fast. And I suspect we may all three have the same player of the week because Duke really essentially only played one game. We played the Pitt Panthers. And I think the entire world thought the same guy won the game for us. So Donald, I'll start with you. Is Grayson Allen your player of the week? Yes. Sam, is Grayson Allen your player of the week? Grayson Allen is my player of the week. I will make it a trifecta. Grayson Allen, who for 7 minutes and 22 seconds willed the Duke Blue Devils to victory. Uh, and, and by the way, Grayson Allen, 6 rebounds, 6 assists in that game. Um, had a, uh, a, he, was, he was our second on the team in rebounds. Only committed 2 turnovers. Um, Grayson Allen, player of the week. Hey, fun stat from the pit game. Duke, 19 assists on 25 made baskets. We're passing the ball really well these days, guys. I really like the, the trajectory we're on. We're not where I thought we'd be at this point in the season, but the trajectory is really good. I agree. Yep, totally. There we go. So uh, we will talk to you all, folks, next, um, probably after the UNC game, because the UNC games are always cause for an emergency podcast. Um, we'll see sort of uh, what happens. If not after the UNC game, Duke plays Clemson. Um, uh, next weekend, we didn't bother to preview that game because, well, it's Clemson. No, I'm kidding. It's because we were really obsessed with North Carolina and because I wanted to give these guys a quiz that they did incredibly well on, and I didn't want the podcast to get too long. But uh, we'll be back with you in the next week at some point. This is DBR Podcast number 70. I am Jason Evans for my partners in crime, the Trivia Masters, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. That's it, and we will let the Duke Band take us home.